From the University of North Carolina School of Medicine, my name is Judson McDonald. Welcome to the first audio feature from AOE Engage, the biannual newsletter for all things Academy of Educators. Today we meet Dr. Kim Nichols. Dr. Nichols is a UNC Medical Alumni Distinguished Teaching Professor in the Department of Anesthesiology. She's also the Clinical Academic Resources Director in the Office of Academic Excellence. In the next 15 minutes, we cover a lot of ground. Education, the joys of teaching, Target, and even Adele. So let's jump into the conversation. 2020 has been an unprecedented year by all means. What is bringing you joy right now? That's a really good question. Uh, I've tried to be very, very mindful of the things that bring me joy and the things for which I'm grateful. Um, I think that's, if, if there's one good thing out of this year, I think it's uh, taught me to be a little bit more grateful if I wasn't already. Um, the things that bring me joy are, uh, for instance, um, simple things like uh, the fact that I am healthy, um, the fact that I you know, have a place to live and I have a job to come to and food to eat and things along those lines and my children are healthy, um, but also just uh, coming to work, for instance, and uh, I like to talk about my students, uh, and I'll tell you more about this later, um, but uh, definitely uh, seeing them and their zeal uh, for knowledge and their zeal for learning kind of uh, keeps me coming back, uh, and that gives me a lot of great joy. I love to hear that. It's it's hard to find it some days on our hard days. Being an educator, you know, your students will always be there and every class offer, offers an opportunity or every shift offers an opportunity to find some kind of joy in them. I think for me too, it's kind of like that natural curiosity. Sometimes when they're excited about something we've thought about for years and know a lot about, if we're maybe the first person to introduce them to a particular concept or theme, it's always really, really exciting. <laughs> yeah, no, totally true. Uh, and we've, uh, in our patient-centered care class uh, in the past few weeks, I would say we just started doing the physical exam. And for many students, that's where they begin to make the leap to why they came to medical school in the first place, uh, getting to like use their stethoscopes, uh, et cetera. And just to see the excitement on their faces was uh, priceless. Thinking about how strange this year has been and how damaging it can be for so many and, and also trying to find the joy within it all. I think it's continued to bring um, so many courageous people of color um, who have worked relentlessly to bring racial justice back into the focus of all of our institutions, especially within the United States. What is your perception of this moment in our history? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Um, and I think a lot of things are coming to the forefront, especially with some of the health disparities around uh, COVID-19 and uh, with some of the social, um, social unrest. Um, I, I would say that the intersection of those two things kind of uh, made this a prime time for people to um, start voicing their, um, really voicing their experiences about what is happening in their, uh, you know, marginalized communities, but also it made it a prime time for people who are not in those communities to maybe listen more than, than you know, had previously happened. Um, so I, th I think that's kind of, um, you know, basically part of what's happened this year. I will also say that because uh, things were at a little bit of a slower pace because of COVID-19, we, you know, everybody wasn't quite in the same hustle and bustle as we normally were, um, that allowed us to kind of stop and, and listen and take note a little bit more. Whereas, you know, everybody was, you know, in their busy and hectic lives previously, and maybe, uh, you know, 
quote, didn't have the time, uh, end quote, to, to stop and listen. But, you know, we were, I think people were kind of forced to listen because you didn't have anything else to do. Full yeah. stop. We are talking, we're having this discussion right now. Right. And I agree. I completely feel like it was the appropriate time to do so because there was no better time than now to to begin talking about these things that have been a discussion for years and years of so many advocates and so many activists in our communities. And now that platform came. Yep. And I, I've been proud of the AOE specifically because of, of that full halt to be able to start discussing these things at a broader sense. Uh, kind of seeing the intersection of education and racism, implicit bias and such come into the theme of the programming we've had this year. And you got to co-lead that session uh, through the Frank Wilson Professionalism Forum. And the title of that was Preventing and Responding to Discrimination in Clinical Education in September of 2020. What did it feel like to highlight this topic and possibly introduce it to some of your colleagues? Um, so I, I will say this, and some people might, um, you know, uh, be surprised to hear me say this, but um, it was a little scary, uh, to be quite honest, at first, uh, just because of uh, the audience. I remember, uh, first of all, um, M, the medical student and I who delivered the content, I don't think we realized uh, the magnitude of, of the you know, lecture, for instance. Um, and so, you know, when we heard that there were maybe 115 people signed up, we were like, oh my gosh. Um, but at the same point in time, we were like, oh my gosh, this is a perfect uh, opportunity for us to get this message across. Um, and uh, from my standpoint as a faculty member, I really took that to heart because I felt like uh, the students, for instance, have done a tremendous job of, of leading this charge. Um, I've been amazed at um, some of the efforts that uh, they're, they're currently MS2s, but you know, at the time they were MS1s. Um, had made to try to get the content out to uh, their fellow medical students, for instance. Um, and then, you know, again, just further amazed by, um, you know, those efforts. But this was like one of the first times that um, I felt like we had really kind of targeted faculty um, to deliver that specific content um, and across specialties, if that makes sense. I know that uh, different departments had had, um, for instance, implicit bias training. Uh, I'll just say that uh, we, we had that in our own department and several other departments had had it, but uh, across specialties, this was one of the first times um, that I felt like we had, we had been able to kind of address this topic. Hearing it from someone you personally know makes all a difference and hearing it from students too makes such a difference, I believe. That was one thing that I really appreciated about the Frank Wilson Professionalism Forum this year as well is because, you know, the topic generally stays the same when we're talking about implicit bias, but the examples and the stories that flood into those sessions where people feel comfortable to share them is always going to be valuable because you can recall certain themes across things you've seen um, and I'm thinking from my perspective as a former Spanish teacher, but I'm sure in your position as a clinical educator and when you're on, um, when you're on in your job versus being in a classroom, um, were there any stories that particularly stood out for you during that session? We, uh, we borrowed some, a, a couple of the scenarios from um, the session that the MS1 students had led for, I, I believe it was for, was for orientation uh, in August, but, um, yeah, one particular scenario had to do with um, 
uh, a, a medical student who was in at an outside campus, I'll just say that, um, and uh, their whole team was referring to the patient as um, the neighborhood in which they lived, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want to um, give too many details around it, but for instance, uh, you know, if the patient um, lived in Jones Park, for instance, they will say, oh, these are just Jones Parkers, you know, um, without realizing, for instance, that the student, you know, herself actually was a member of that community, um, you know, and so they were uh, basically kind of talking down about the whole community and saying they don't, they don't care about their health and like, you know, um, they were difficult people to deal with, etc. You know, and I just think how easy it is um, in the healthcare setting, basically to minimize people to where they're from or, um, you know, what their disease process is, you know, instead of just recognizing that, you know, each person is their own individual self, uh, that makes sense, right? And that, you know, each person is also like worthy of respect. Also, the further I've gotten into my own education about diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, one of the things that I've learned is that patients actually pick up on this um, about how implicit biases, for instance, can affect um, patient provider uh, communications. And so I've been, you know, since that, since that example, I've been uh, very cognizant um, of the way our own, you know, background and experiences can affect how we interact with patients. And I try to like teach that to my students as well, especially because, you know, part of my job, uh, students and residents, part of my job actually is to teach people not just what to say, but also how to say it. comes from empathy and being able to show up as your true self in your work so that you don't feel that you have to fit a mold of what you think this profession is, but rather you belong in it as who you are. Um, yes. And as you describe that, that made me think, you know, along the lines of, of true self and authenticity and most importantly, representation. With that in mind, it's it's so important to have representation for younger generations, for colleagues and peers to see themselves in high-impact fields, such as yours, such as doctors, educators, public servants. And so that made me curious to, if you can remember someone in your younger life who made you think, you know, I can be a medical professional as well. Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say... Um... I didn't really know that many doctors uh, growing up. I mean, I knew my own uh, pediatricians, for instance, and I went to church with a, you know, a gentleman who was a physician, but I didn't have super close contact with uh, anyone that was a physician. So I guess, uh, even though my mom tells me that I said from a young age, I wanted to be a doctor, I don't remember that, but those are stories that she tells. Um, <laughs> but that being said, uh, it wasn't until I was, um, older actually, and I actually already was a physician at this point, um, that that there was an older physician that I kind of emulated, like um, that I was really um, essentially just uh, enamored with her presence um, and like just how much she knew and the way she interacted with um, staff people and the way she interacted with patients, um, it made me want to be like her. 
um, if that makes sense. But I, I felt like she really kind of interacted with people as people. Um, and that's kind of how I try to approach things, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah, because, you know, on a base level, if we all, you know, are going to Target, for instance, like nobody at Target knows I'm a doctor, right? Like, and nobody at Target knows that this is the front desk person, but we're just gonna see to each other as like, we're hanging out at Target, um, if that makes sense. And so that's kind of how I try to approach my interactions, um, you know, with my colleague, all of my colleagues and also with my patients. And I think my patients actually really appreciate that. I remember my first meeting with you, it was well over a year now. Um, and the first thing I noticed about you was not only your calm demeanor and professionalism, but your blue eyeshadow and how <laughs> you um, just made everyone feel like a part of the conversation. That was something I admired from you very early on. And there's no doubt that your patients love that about you as well. Thank you. Broadly speaking, and I'm acknowledging the, the great wealth in this question of what do you love about teaching? I love people making connections kind of on their own, if that makes sense. Um, and also, well, in other words, like me not spoon feeding you information, but you being able to come up with the answer based on questions that I'm asking you or based on, you know, kind of circum, um, you know, forential evidence that I'm, you know, giving to you um, or whatever. And then other things that I really like to see uh, in academics are I really love to see people quote, get to the next level. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of medical students, that means getting from foundation phase to application phase to individualization phase to graduation and then kind of st still communicating with them once they've graduated from medical school. You know, um, I also interact with um, our resident learners. Uh, so that's, you know, from when they first become uh, anesthesiology residents, for instance, until they become what we call, quote, senior residents, with, which is halfway through their, um, you know, third year of residency to when they're just about to graduate. Like, I love seeing people grow and mature uh, and just develop like that. That is actually one of uh, my very favorite things in life. It's great to see folks use the knowledge that you can impart to them and the guidance you can impart to them to do something on their own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd like to think you're just getting started with that. What do you think? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. It is uh, definitely one of my favorite things uh, in life. Um, yeah. And I also have to, I feel like I have to let people know that maybe my educational style might be a little bit unconventional, but it's, you know, uh, the purpose behind it is uh, for your highest good if you're the learner, basically. It's funny, Jetson, when I was reflecting on uh, what it is that I like about education and, and maybe what um, makes uh, other people think that I am a good educator, particularly my learners, uh, a few of them have said to me that I have really, really high expectations, but the way in which I guide people towards achieving those expectations is in a kind and, and really kind of loving fashion uh, that, that makes them want to achieve those goals and want to do better. Um, and that that really just warmed my heart. Um, and you know, ultimately people say you just got to trust the process.
let's set the scene. You got to get pumped up for the day. It's a dreary morning. What song are you putting on to get yourself excited? You know, Judson, it actually depends on the day. <laughs> um, yeah, it really depends on the day. It's funny because um, if I'm, you know, if I'm in a hard task, uh, sometimes I'm listening to Pandora. Um, and my latest Pandora station that I really like, I want to say it's, um, it might be easy listening radio actually, but but they play a lot of um, like 80s music. So I love 80s music. Anything by Adele is uplifting to me, even if it's a sad song. I was just listening to Adele this morning, actually. <laughs> Our house, so... Another big thank you to Dr. Kim Nichols, Associate Professor of Anesthesiology and UNC Academy of Educators member. I'm your host, Judson McDonald, AOE Coordinator. This interview was recorded on December 7th, 2020. A big thank you to the idea for this interview from Dr. Lindsay Wilson and Dr. Eric Schwamer. If you'd like to learn more about the UNC Academy of Educators, visit us online at www.med.unc.edu forward slash AOE. Until next time. The opinions expressed by the guests and contributors in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the University of North Carolina School of Medicine.